Welcome to the Hertie School of Governance. The Hertie School. Hertie School. Berlin needs a globally visible public policy school. As a school of governance, we see our mission in fostering these important discussions. You're listening to a podcast brought to you by the Hertie School of Governance in Berlin. Dear students, ladies and gentlemen, Monsieur le Secrétaire d'État, cher Mounir, liebe Frau Kaiser, dear Slava, um, it's an interesting but very typical type of morning at the Hertie School. We have the uh, digital minister of a, one of the leading uh, industrial countries in the world just dropping by, letting us know 10 days ago he was in Berlin, he wanted to talk to smart people, and could that be at the Hertie School? And we immediately said yes. Then we have next to him sitting an entrepreneur uh, who sits on the German Digital Council, Stephanie Kaiser, who is a founder, uh, the uh, um, managing director of a health platform called Heartbeat Labs, and uh, we're delighted to have you. And then sitting next to them, we have a uh, leading mind, our own very own Slava Jenkin, the director of our new data science lab at the Hertie School, a new professor of uh, data science here at the school who has just joined us. He's new with us. Many of you in the room probably don't know him, who's just joined us from uh, uh, the UK. He's uh, originally from Belarus, uh, uh, worked at the LSE, UCL, uh, and then uh, at the University of Essex, and now sets up the data lab. Why do we do this this morning? We do it not just because you, Munia, were kind enough to ask us whether you could smart, meet smart people. I'm not sure we're going to deliver, but we want to talk to you as a very smart person. But why do we do that? Because we believe that the challenges we're all facing through digitalization um, and the transformation coming along with it for public policy is something that's part of our daily business now. At the Hertie School, a lot has been changing. Um, over the past weeks, months, and years. We are not only setting up the data science lab, we also hired a professor of cybersecurity, thanks to generous support from one of the largest semiconductor producers in the world, NXP. They fund this professorship, and we're in close cooperation with them, not only on this professorship, but on the entire challenge um, posed to us by digitalization for public policymaking. We're setting up a center on uh, digital governance, trying to think about how to govern digital and how to use digital for governance purposes. We have many classes our students here attend to learn more about those fields. And that is all very nice and fantastic. And I would like to congratulate Slava for his efforts in building the data science lab and that his initiative, part of this initiative put forward by the German association of donors to universities, the Stifterverband, they have put out a competition for innovation hubs at campus um, to award a, a price amount to particular initiatives where universities connect to uh, innovative ideas. And the data science lab is part of a shortlist out of 100 candidates that will present uh, on 25th of March um, and uh, be one of eight groups to compete for the final um, very big prize. And uh, having made it to the shortlist, Slava, is a big prize. This just shows you how active the Hertie School tries to be in uh, accompanying the digital transformation. But I'm not the right person to talk about this. Munir, you are. But I will now pass the word the floor to Slava for uh, introducing the two speakers. And I look forward to a great lunch, a fantastic discussion among smart people. Thank you, Munia, for being here. Thank you, Stephanie. So it's an honor to introduce um, our two esteemed guests here. Um, Munir Mayajubi, I just want to say, using Guardian description of him, he was described as the geek who saved Macron's campaign. That's the title of the article. Um, and then going further, political description, political.eu. Um, Their description of you is much more terse, not as exciting, but, um, well, it's exciting, the, what you achieved. So Secretary of State for Digital Affairs for France, um, Vast experience as an entrepreneur working on digital and environmental issues. Master's degree in law from Sorbonne and master's degree in economics and finance from Science Po. Studied in Columbia University and that's the interesting part, you also ran a cinema club. 
French Cinema Club at Columbia University, which seems like one of the top things, I guess, from Columbia. Um, then um, you were the president of the National Digital Council in France, focusing on digital transformation of SMEs, uh, universities, and digital inclusion of the most vulnerable in society. And in 2017, you joined as Secretary of State for Digital in Prime Minister Edouard Philippe's government. And then also now, uh, after some transformation, you retain the role as Secretary of State for Digital, working with the Minister for Finance. So that's all, all the excitement things. But another final thing is that uh, in the IMDb database of movie entries, you actually have five entries. <laughs> so every time you appear online, um, there's an entry for you created in IMDb database. So I think it's an achievement in and of itself. Uh, Stephanie, Stephanie Kaiser, founder and managing director at Heartbeat Labs, leads product development and engineering venture execution. Uh, the interesting parts of Stephanie's uh, biography, at least what I could find online, is that you started off as a, in humanities at Humboldt University, and then you traveled to Vietnam in Ho Chi Minh City, digitizing one of the biggest German libraries there. And that essentially was the catapult that moved you to digital world. So thanks for that. And uh, all the work that you've done since then, an extremely successful career as an entrepreneur working in the field of health startups lately. And this is something that's also moving via MTV and Nickelodeon and learning a lot uh, from that. And bringing all this to the digital startups in, in Germany, Berlin, and in Europe. So. Um, the final chairman that Henry Kirlodi mentioned that you are also on the Federal Digital Road, um, Digital Council supporting and advising federal government. So this is just a really brief introduction and I would like to give the floor to the esteemed speakers. Well, I, I, hello everybody. Thank you very much for this introduction. Um, Having the, cust the, cities, the customer at the, at the center might uh, uh, transfer in our, in our world in uh, having the citizen at the, at the center of everything and having the citizen customer at the center of everything. And everything we are debating right now in the digital sphere in terms of regulation, in terms of protection, in terms of opportunities is a lot around this idea of having the citizen at the center. Uh, when President Macron tried to uh, define the French digital strategy and the European uh, digital strategy that we want, that we hope, uh, we tried to put it in one sentence, saying that we want to make France and Europe digital champions serving humans and the planet. Performance and humanity, saying that we will make no concession on performance. We want to develop the best companies, we want them to have the best access to money, we want to have them the most free environment in terms of regulation so that they can innovate. But at the same time, we put at the same level the respect of the human and the respect of the planet, creating some regulations, some constraints, but we try to transform these constraints in positive advantages which is possible. When you look at uh, GDPR, it really sounded as something that was a terror for some entrepreneurs, but right now it's becoming a competitive ad advantage worldwide. It took time, uh, but now you do have Japanese company who try to stem their services as GDPR compatible, not to sell them to European companies, even to sell them in Japan, because this GDPR brand embodies now trust. And trust is something that's really important in our digital world, and especially in the relationship and the respect that we have for the, for the citizens. When we look at the, all the questions we have in terms of innovation regulation and, and, and competition law, today there is a subject for customers. Do they have the right level of choice? And do they have operationally the right capacity to choose or to leave a service for another? The question now has to be very precise. We can talk in general of competition, of competition law and say we need to change competition law because we have giants and we need to regulate these giants. Or we can go deeper and say we need more fine regulation, smarter regulation that creates, for example, standardization of functions, standardization of data that will permit 
the emergence of new actors within this ecosystem. I don't believe in competition regulation where the only objective is to cut Google in four or to cut Facebook in four. But I believe in, uh, in systems where you make Google and Facebook and others to create more compatible services, more open services, uh, more uh, open architecture that helps other services to, to reach them. That's a big subject for 2019. That's a big subject for the next commission, standardization um, and, and, and data standardization. Second thing is about, if we go deeper on what is the most uh, fearful things for uh, citizen parents online, is how do we deal with content regulation? There is, in France, this German law that uh, everybody wants in France. So the only way people talk about it is that we want, we want it like the Germans. Uh, so we need to answer, say that, okay, uh, but we need to go deeper. So last week, President Macron said that we will go <laughs> like the Germans, uh, but the French way. So <laughs> we'll see what will, what will be. I, I talked with my, uh, my uh, correspondent uh, minister here in Germany, saying that we will go we will start from what Germany did, and we will go uh, deeper in certain aspects. And they were very interested, and we say, if we find a new model based on the German model, then together we will be the supporter of this model at the EU level. So we, I think there's a lot of things that we can do, uh, that we can do great when we do it uh, together. Uh, but the French way. But having <laughs> <laughs> No, with German origination, then the French were. <laughs> and it works well. <laughs> and then you have all this uh, question that, uh, that we could talk about, about uh, regulation of algorithm. Again, the question on that is not to create regulation to limit, but is to create regulation to make it more transparent. You know, we have a, a legislation in France saying that we cannot use as a state algorithm that cannot be explained in, uh, in, in normal words, meaning that we cannot use uh, machine learning uh, to make administrative decisions. I think this question of being able to express, being able to control, being able to uh, create counter power in terms of usage of algorithm is a, a key element. We put it at the heart of the AI strategy uh, of France to finance public research on um, technical and uh, research tools in order to uh, create more transparency and more external control of, 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 uh, of uh, algorithm. So that's a lot of subjects. They are subjects that have a high level of maturity, meaning that they have already entered the, the national debate. If we look at hate speech content regulation, everybody has already talked about it. Uh, in my family, everybody has, has an advice on it. So it means that it's, it's a mature subject where we can really go. It's even more mature than that the public opinion believes that we are late in terms of regulation. But when we talk about um, competition regulation based on standardization, and uh, it's absolutely not yet in the vocabulary. When we talk about um, regulation of algorithm and transparency of algorithm, it's not yet in the vocabulary. So the, when, for those of you who, have, who here have already worked on digital uh, governmental issues for the last 10 years, to see where are the old ones here. So for those, you see the cycle. You have uh, five to 10 years to make people understand your subject. Then everybody believes they know better your subject. And then everyone <laughs> runs to you asking you what we should do. And then we find the good solution that is a good mix uh, of it. It's, 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 it's the case for every technical aspect of government. Uh, but today, we have a lot of acceleration on multiple subjects, making people who are uh, digital ready and uh, government ready, very rare and very useful to the community and very useful to the general interest. So thank you for all of you here who believes in that and uh, especially the next generation of uh, public deciders. So thank you. So yeah, let, let's uh, uh, to talk about that. And health is maybe one of the sectors where you embody all the constraints and the opportunities at the same time. Uh, in France, traditionally, we are very protective on health. But now we do also have a lot of public investment and private investment because we believe in, in health tech. And we are at this right moment now where we have changed our rules and our regulation to make them more accessible. Because we had rules, to tell you the truth, about health data that made it 
absolutely impossible to any company, private company, to use uh, public health data for their research or for their product. Now that we've changed it, it's nearly opening to the private sector. And with the next level of change that is happening right now, we expect it to be at a high level of security and a high level of, open, of openness. Uh, and I hope that uh, uh, companies like yours would be able to develop their innovations everywhere. Well, we are trying, but I think what we, what you uh, discussed was, and you showed it, it's the hype cycle of technology. And I think it's a, it's a concept that we should always keep in mind, because uh, when there is a new technology, say 3D printing or social networks, um, we always think, wow, this is going to be amazing. I don't quite understand it, but it's totally going to be amazing. And then there is this trough of disillusionment and um, there everybody is like, oh, wow, this technology, nobody needs it. And and only then it becomes interesting. And there is the Gartner Institute um, is uh, showing uh, technologies on this hype cycle every single year. And they put the technologies that are in trend on this hype cycle. And it's a very, very interesting model to think about it that way. Um, just not to become too overexcited, but also also not to um, throw away things too early because um, you need some time to get to this plateau of productivity. That's what also I think you called it. And then in health, um, I think there is regulation, yes, and it's very, very tricky, uh, especially in Germany. Telemedicine, for example, was not allowed or the first contact between patient and, and uh, doctor was not allowed to be uh, in virtual manners uh, up until last uh, May. And only now, the uh, I don't know what that is in English, but the Landesärztekammern, uh, they have to decide now if that's allowed or not. And there are several regulations that are still speaking against uh, telemedicine. However, we should not forget, even if this regulation is changed, the customer, we will not kind of switch, uh, flip a switch, and then all of a sudden everybody in Germany is using telemedical services. That's just not going to happen. And I think that's also a mindset thing because the expectation towards technology is always very high because we don't, sometimes we don't really understand what it is about. And um, we should manage this expectation a bit better because only iteratively and centered around the user we can build uh, products and digital solutions in e-government, in digital health that are finally, and I think that's the most important point that you said in your uh, intro, it's, this is for the human being and this could be the citizen and there are different roles. There, it could be the doctor, it could be the pharmacy interacting and uh, that's what it all comes down to, I think, just as a thought in between. Would you have a, a question? I, we, we're here for you, actually. Yes, exactly. We we're here for you. <laughs> you. You do have smarter things to say, I'm sure. So let's open it up to questions. Um, Uh, Nathalie Steiber, I'm journalist for the French media context. Uh, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> the, the question was more open to the to the people of the art uh, school, but it's always a pleasure to answer to context uh, everywhere in the world. <laughs> you are the only media that is following me everywhere I'm going, <laughs> writing about digital every day. You are making the digital sphere by uh, all your humors, and it, so it's always important to listen to context. Please, everybody, listen. Okay. Now that I'm totally read, I can ask my question. Um, so, can you specify what's the difference between the German and the French way on the three point of the regulation that you quoted? <laughs> Sorry, I should have started with the student questions. There is, there is no ontologic difference between the French and the German way, but there are on each of these subjects a different history based on the, the, the political maturity of the subject. If we look at hate speech content regulation, for example, Germany had sooner than France the public maturity of, on the subject that made the German politics deciders to go faster on the subject, but not especially deeper. In France, we decided to go deeper on the subject, so we were considered by some in France uh, as uh, going too late on the subject, but we wanted to be sure that we were give, giving uh, a, a, a larger and wider, uh, wider uh, um, answer to the subject. But the good thing is, 
because Germany had already started less than a year ago with its own regulation, and because our relationship, especially with this minister, is, is really strong, we are working quite uh, close, even in defining the French position right now. Because we have the conviction together that the right position should be the next commission position uh, that will go out of, the, of this election, being end of year 2019. So our goal is to have a German-French position by 2019 on this subject and having the maximum country around us. If you uh, remember the, cons the consensus on the subject at the commission uh, two years ago, uh, or a year, a year and a half ago, the consensus was to do nothing. Or the consensus was to have a, uh, an ad hoc uh, a meeting and, and, and discussion with the platforms. Well, this ad hoc discussion didn't deliver, so that's why Germany uh, went for its own national law. That's why France is going for its own national law, but it's never good when you go to uh, multiple national laws. So that's maybe an example of a difference on this, uh, on this subject. And on the other subject, to tell you the truth, on, on competition regulation, that was a discussion between um, between uh, Bruno Le Maire and uh, and uh, and uh, Mr. Uh, Altmaier uh, recently, they made a public uh, the document together. This is a big subject, but there now there's no French or German way. There's no ways. Nobody has already talked about this subject. It's a new subject. It's a subject for the coming generation, the coming European generation. On, on this subject, we are working hard in France. We launched les états généraux du numérique with uh, nearly 100 persons working and contributing on this subject. Uh, Germany has launched uh, some of their uh, um, debate uh, locally as well. We need to build something that has to be strong together on this subject. Again, the question is not to limit uh, competition. The question is not to limit the access to the European market to American uh, uh, platforms. It's to create better opportunities for everyone with these actors. All right. Um, yeah. Hi. Hello. Does it work? Yes. Hi, uh, Loïc Baptiste Savatier. Nice to meet you. I'm a MPP, Master in Public Policy student here at, uh, in Berlin. And bouncing up on what you just said, uh, in that we need a, a competition law that does not limit access, but that just provides better opportunities. Uh, have you heard and what do you think about a uh, data sharing mechanism as a competition tool? Uh, and to what extent, should, uh, if you're in favor of it, should it be centralized or not? And uh, to what extent should it be using the, uh, involving the end user or remaining at the B2B level? Thank you. You've asked all the questions. I'm completely in favor of it. I'm trying to be a sponsor of this idea everywhere I'm, go, I'm going in the world. Uh, but when you say that, you are at the beginning of the, of the, of the, operational, uh, uh, of the operationalization of the subject. There's this question of data sharing. Who is operating? Who is giving trust on, on this data sharing? Yes, this, there's the question of standardization, and there's this question of um, technical ar architecture. Uh, is it an API-based model? Is it a centralized uh, model? In France, we are going to have a law uh, that is coming called the Loi d'Orientation des Mobilités. It's the new mobility law in France. Within this law, there will be a big subject on data sharing between all actors. Uh, all the debate is on who is uh, the owner, who's the trust giver, who's uh, everything. This is revolution. This is the next level of competition and regulation. It will stimulate innovation, create access to that. In, uh, yesterday, I was at the Salon de l'Agriculture, where there is this large initiative that took nearly two years called AgroAPI, where voluntarily all the actors of the agriculture system in France decided to share their data, to create and, and decide common standards, and having a trust platform that is a company, but the company shares are owned by all the actors that are part of this uh, project. Saying that there's nearly 100 uh, shareholders on the subject, and they have all agreed to share a lot of their data, but they have asked this new structure to create trust, meaning that you don't want a competitor to have whole, full access of what you've done, but you want startups and researchers to have access to the maximum amount of data, but you also want to create compatibility between uh, software. That's at the heart of everything. Right now in France, we are discussing the future of cloud. The future of cloud is all about standardization and, 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 and data sharing between the actors within the vertical. At the moment, we have a problem in France. We have 
offers from Amazon, we have offers from Google, we are completely vertically integrated. They have their own standards. When you buy the deep uh, layers of cloud to Amazon, then you can buy just by a click all the vertical services uh, you want. They are all compatible because they are provided by the same company. Whereas in Europe and in France, we do have some of the best uh, deep layer cloud uh, provider. We have some of the good uh, uh, high layer uh, cloud services, but they are absolutely not compatible. And it's a nightmare for uh, a CIO to, to, uh, to, 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 to implement them uh, within a company. So that's why a lot of companies, but even I'm also responsible for the uh, state digitization. Even some of my services are buying directly to this big company because it's easier. Frankly, when you go to Microsoft, it's easier to have uh, an Azure server and then buy all the Microsoft suite. It's all compatible. You have uh, little risk and it, it's going far. Google apps for professionals, it's a dream for companies. You buy Google and then you, you, you enter the Google world of uh, Google services for companies. You click, you have an email, you click, you have a collaborative uh, tool. When you want to rebuild that from different bricks from the EU, uh, from EU company, you really have to believe in your country and to believe in your continent to, uh, to do it. It's a nightmare. You create a central... I was responsible for that before. So you create a center, a center an annuaire central, then you build upon it multiple bricks, etc. It's a nightmare. So we need to work, and that's what we've launched at the French level, but it has to be um, a European discussion, or at least a French-German discussion, data compatibility, data sharing, standardization, and that's the future of, uh, of smart regulation, that's the future of smart competition. Um, yeah, so let's try some more students in the back. I'm not a student, should I hand it over? <laughs> I could make my voice a little lighter. No, I'll be quick. Um, uh, good morning, uh, Clark Parsons from the Internet Economy Foundation, um, here, think tank here in Berlin. Uh, we sat on a panel a year and a half ago in uh, Estonia at the Digital Summit talking about platform regulation. Uh, it's great to see the progress that's been made. Um, and it's very interesting to hear you say the structural antitrust argument isn't going to be the way forward. Interestingly enough, in the US, that's the debate that's starting to happen uh, about that direction. So I wanted to go a little deeper on the cloud subject and just in general, try and get a bit of optimism from the two of you. Um, we're doing a study on cloud computing right now. We see a market that's booming. Uh, it's driving all the growth of the top 10 uh, biggest companies in the world, but of course, besides maybe SAP, um, you're looking at a market that's becoming uh, as well dominated by the American players. Google, I think, put $25 billion into its cloud investment this year. So interoperability and data standards, we totally agree. I think this is a main point we're going to be driving with this study we'll be bringing out. Um, but when I look at where Europe is competing, aside from maybe Spotify, starting to crack the top 20. Um, I'm not convinced yet that uh, a giant network of tiny companies in Mittelstand in the digital world is still going to help uh, Europe compete with the US and China. You two have the Überblick uh, because you see the ecosystem digitally in your countries and across Europe. I'm curious to know where you're optimistic. What sectors do you think, you know, the buzzwords in Berlin might be blockchain or other technologies. People talk about AI, but Germany has only 3% of the AI startups in the world. There's more newspaper articles today in Germany about AI than there are AI companies in Germany. Um, so uh, where, where are you optimistic? What, what do you, sectors or, or areas do you think Europe can not only compete, but maybe even lead? Okay, I go first, and then you will have to go after, because I will talk about you. First sector is uh, health. On health, France can compete worldwide because health is a, a concentration of, of, of hope and fears. And when there's a lot of hope and fears, Europe is, is fantastic uh, uh, provider of solutions because fears can only be answered with trust. And we do have the highest level of trust in the world. Uh, so that's where we should always compete. We should never make any concession on trust. Our systems, our regulation, our way of doing things, build trust by itself, build trust uh, by design. So it, it, it's really, really important. But what we need to have at the same time is create the condition of innovation and create the, the smooth, the, 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 the smoothest uh, innovation ecosystem that will let uh, Europe, uh, that will let health companies to innovate at the <laughs> highest level. 
that's what we try to do. But to be frank, it already two years that we are in power. It took us a year and a half to put uh, uh, to to create the. Um, the ecosystem of the health data hub that will permit the deep sharing of very advanced data in terms of health and permits more exchange from the public sector and the private sector. But the chance that we have in Europe is that because a lot of, health, of the health system is financed by the public sector, when the public sector tries to innovate in health, it can go very fast. Uh, you talked about telemedicine. This year in France, we decided to reimburse telemedicine consultation. As soon as we, with the security social system, I say that we reimburse. It's a million, multi-million euros uh, market and multi-million euros um, uh, opportunity that is created. And more than that, it has a direct impact on um, health inclusion on the territory. Because the reason why we, re we are reimbursing it is that because we believe it's at the height level for the health relationship between a patient and the, and the doctor. But also it has a deep impact for the people who without this telemedicine system, would not consult a doctor. So it, it, it raised the level of health that we provide. Second is the um, smart city ecosystem. Smart city is not by itself a vertical, but it's by itself a, a subject of multiple verticals where we still have this question of trust and general interest. And on these subjects, we were traditionally, when I say we, it's Europe, uh, at the highest level uh, on this subject. So I believe on these two, we can be very strong. And there's a third one, also for the, right, the same reason, which is cybersecurity. On cybersecurity, Europe has a very special, world, uh, a special role in the world. Uh, the biggest offer, uh, offer on the subject are Americans, Israeli, Russians, and Chinese. For many reasons in this world, there are many countries who would never work with any of these countries. But they would work with a high level of technology and trust of Europe. On this subject, we need to still uh, be at the highest level. We need to uh, build on our sovereignty. We need to build on our expertise. And to me, blockchain and AI are not verticals. They are the transformation technologies and force of all the verticals I've talked about. AI on health is our main concentration in the AI strategy of France, because we believe that we could deliver worldwide something very important especially as AI is based on AI productivity is based on the quality of the data they are using because we've paid for it nationally for the last 60 years uh, and because we believe we have a, a very high level of doctors uh, in our countries in our socialized health system we, it should become a competitive advantage you know there are companies all around the world that are trying to buy our uh, health data because there are some of the best, uh, uh, the best uh, trained uh, doctors who built them before. So we need to do it smart, but we have a lot of opportunity. What do you think about that? I totally agree, and I, I'm always coming from the startup side, right? And I can only talk about health in detail. However, I do like to spread a lot of optimism. I've started in health, I think, two, three years ago. And with Heartbeat Labs, we have started one and a half years ago. And we built an online uh, midwife service because we wanted to learn about um, how does that, how would telemedicine work if it was allowed, right? Because we didn't want to learn the moment uh, the regulation changes. And last year, when we started talking about, uh, to health insurances, for example, because it's always the question in Germany, who is paying for the service? Because in the end, the end customer is not paying because we are kind of we grew up with the belief that it's the health insurance. And they didn't know how to handle us and they didn't really know how to work with us. And it was a long process over a year, but now um, I think many, many stakeholders are, are changing their opinion about digital uh, health and that there needs to be, um, there need to be uh, good solutions for this. And now the health insurances are coming to us. And that's one point. The second thing is that um, I do believe in digital health, in Germany especially, is there is with all the startups that I have met, there is no real competition. Because we keep saying, if we had the problem of competition, we are already way more far than we are today. It's not our first problem because the, it's so tricky to do anything in the health area uh, for very good reasons, don't get me wrong. Um, we need to work together and there is this underlying notion of the stakeholders now move more into we need to do something about digital. The players are working together because they want to uh, move something forward for the, for the patient or the doctor 
there are many, many players in the system. And that's why I really like to uh, spread optimism, especially in this field, because I can feel it now that there are uh, way more people interested in the whole topic. And as I said, building solutions for actual actual users. Uh, and yeah, that's, I think, my take on at least digital health. And, and the startup scene in Berlin and Germany for the German health system because it's a very it's a very country specific thing although i do believe and that would be one topic that's very important for ai clearly the amount of data is important right so there i think it's all about and i can only underline that interoperability of the data but we do also need to be very uh, careful with the data because in the end it's about a patient and somebody could die right so i i really like to oversimplify things to make a point um, but i think that's why that is why it's so tricky to do something in the field and that's it's it's also okay we just need to kind of join forces to move something just a small point on optimism uh, it was your interview at the consumer electronic show 2018 where you talked to TechCrunch. thank you to quote me like that yeah exactly um you were quite optimistic about the 270 french startups that appeared and were making a pitch at Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, the biggest show in the world and like in this area. And it was specifically the deep tech startups and the e-health startups. And it, it you sounded really optimistic and that was based on the companies that you met. So I think there's there's a movement and there's actually deliverable evidence also for that. I also forgot to say something. Um, health is something that is important for everyone in the room. That is also one driving aspect. And I think we all get to get closer to, we, we probably were for a long time, but my grandmother is now using WhatsApp, right? So I think we are getting closer to technology. The, the, the technology is getting more and more sophisticated. This ring is tracking my data every single night. Um, and I think it's this, we have all the data now and we really need to find smart regulations to make that possible to use it also across Europe because the amount of data is important. And I wanted to say one more thing about optimism because it's a very important point. I'm very, uh, I'm very passionate about it. I was at DLD this year. It's uh, Digital Life and Design. It's a conference about tech, tech in Munich. And um, the motto was optimism and courage. I loved it because just because they put that on the walls everywhere and on the bags and everything they produced, the panels and the talks just had a tiny little nuance that was a little bit more optimistic. And to be honest, only optimism can can kind of drive change and innovation. So that's why I'm super, super... <laughs> I mean, if you only kind of dig deep into the problems, you're not moving anywhere, right? And that's also how we um, work as startups. So I'm super uh, enthusiastic about optimism. And I think 2019 is the year not only of telemedicine, that's a bold statement, but at least for Germany that will be true, um, but also it's time for some more optimism. Yes. There's a TV show in France who's making fun of me uh, at least once a week, calling me the Minister of Bisou and Optimism. <laughs> I love it. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Um, any more questions? Yeah, so yeah. So, um, my name's Tim. I have uh, two quick questions. Uh, first, how would you describe the state of uh, AI competition in Europe right now on a country level? And more specifically, do you see any areas where Germany and France would be competing, let's say, on a strategic level, or is it more of a competition on a business uh, level. And the second question is regarding the, the Treaty of Aachen. So France and Germany said that they would uh, be engaged for ethical guidelines for emerging tech uh, on the international stage. And my question would be if you could sketch out how France and Germany would uh, develop such guidelines and then take it to the EU and to the international stage. Well, two important questions. Uh, on the second one, because it's, it's one of the key elements of the G7 that will uh, be presided by France uh, this year, uh, we, uh, th that will be the main subject of discussion I will have uh, this afternoon with my German colleagues. Uh, it's all about finding the best AI um, mindset and uh, uh, the best gathering of data and independent and neutral data to have the best perspective on ethics on AI. Ethics should be seen as for RGPD, uh, GDPR as an enhancer of trust and not as a limitation of what we could do with AI. What I can say after what we've done the last 12 months is that there are countries in the world who share these values. 
at the last IGF forum in France, President Macron made a, a speech uh, making differences between multiple models, saying that we do have a Californian model where uh, innovation leads to profit, that will lead to more innovation, that will lead to even more profit, that will lead to even more innovation. That works because that worked for the last uh, uh, decades, but it's a model, it's not the only one. There's another model uh, that could be more defined as the Chinese model, where innovation drives more control, that will drive more innovation, that will drive more control, that will drive more innovation. And in between, we need to find a path where we believe that we can find an innovation model that creates value, a lot of value, it's really important, but that also creates a lot of impact uh, on the people. And all the subject and discussion we need to build on this AI ethics platform that we need to build worldwide is in between these countries who share this vision that it's not only for profit, so it needs rules, but it, no, it shouldn't leave to control, so it needs a lot of freedom. How can we discuss together and have this impact? So we create, we call for this uh, group of international experts on AI uh, with Canada. We decided to, uh, to, to, to be uh, one of the first signers together with France. And this discussion now uh, for us is to have Germany to be the third country to join us on this subject. And it will be at the heart of the G7 discussion that we're going to have in the, coming, uh, in, the coming, uh, in the coming months. So it's really important, but it's not a limitator. It's an enhancer of... Uh, of, uh, of, of uh, if we create trust on AI because we have this type of committees, then we'll be able to do a lot more things that if we don't give this trust to the population and to the expert, then we will not be able to, uh, to develop and to innovate. So to me, it's trust, uh, ethics is not uh, a subject for ethics specialists. Ethics should be at the heart of what uh, all experts does on AI in France and Europe. In terms of competition, there are maybe three, uh, three different markets for AI. There's the subject of the future, future pre, uh, the, the, the future technology that, we will, that will be used, technology that will be mature in 10, 15 years. That's all the investment we do in public research. That's all the investment we ask the largest company to invest in is the uh, very advanced AI systems, etc. On this subject, it's hard to say who will be the champions. Google looks like more ready uh, for that, but uh, still they're recruiting French and German specialists to uh, work in their team, meaning that we are not that uh, bad on the subject. Uh, you know that are, uh, France is one of the nationalities that is most, uh, most represented in AI uh, laboratory of uh, largest companies, so it's, there's something interesting on it. Um, there's the second market of a very specialized vertical, Let's talk about the autonomous car. For example, autonomous car or um, AI diagnostic for uh, health is two specific verticals where we can compete worldwide, where we should invest a lot and we should go uh, very fast, and where France plus Germany could become the best uh, duo uh, in, uh, in order to win this uh, worldwide competition. In the autonomous car, nothing is lost yet. Uh, there's this question of standardization, this question of trust. There are many people in the world who would feel better to be in an autonomous French-German car than in a Chinese autonomous car. Uh, so we need to build on trust. But let's be careful. Huh? Trust can also be a subject of competition. Chinese could decide to have a hard regulation on trust on their uh, on their uh, systems, and then we'll build on this on this on this brand. Germany, uh, US is not yet known for trust. It's really known for high level of technology and even uh, uh, tough technologies. When you look at Tesla, the Tesla motto is not trust. Tesla motto is uh, uh, being ready, the, being ready first, being the first, uh, deliver technology now. And, and, and let's see with trust. So there's a subject on that, that we, where we can compete. And on health, we can really compete on this, on, this, uh, on, this, on this subject. And then you have the third market, where to me, we need to go very fast, and that's the priority of 2019 in France, is the AI bricks that can be used by all companies nowadays. Uh, we've launched multiple plans to help SMEs and corporations to use these bricks. We are developing a lot of applications uh, in the public sector, the, uh, image recognition, speech recognition, text recognition, etc. We are late. We are completely late on these subjects. It's completely ready. It's not uh, AI fast, uh, fast forward technology. It's, uh, it's past technologies of AI that could completely give us uh, advance in terms of uh, competitiveness because it will optimize our process. 
So right now we are a lot, uh, we are investing a lot in diffusion of this, and we do have great French and German offer. It's a, it's an industry of service more than industry of product, but we have some of the best consulting and IT consulting companies between France and Germany. We have developed these bricks for a lo uh, for for a long year for for a long time. So now there's this question of diffusion, and I would be very happy that. Uh, on that, we can compete with all other offerers because we are at the same level. Because now you can compare, and we do have the, the, the good level. So that's how I see the competitive uh, landscape on AI uh, in Europe now. Right, um, from this side. In the back? In the bench. Yeah. So please be a champion. Uh, so, Laila Fetich, Hertie School student, um, short question. Uh, looking at the concrete measures the um, European Commission has taken um, in order to tackle the ethical implications of AI, so the ethic guidelines, do you think there is a need for more concrete measures um, besides this more self-regulatory tool? Or do you see this as sufficient to our today's challenges? Uh, to me, the initiative and especially the, the special panel uh, that has been created at the EU level is, uh, uh, to me, the, the preparation of what's coming. The reason why we are not going too fast is because at the moment, at the very special moment, there are very few applications where we believe we need to be uh, to, to, to create uh, emergency uh, rules and to create uh, emergency limitations. There might be one in terms of military uh, usage of AI, and that's why this discussion already started a few years ago in, military, in the military sphere, so that there is a, a, a question on use, because there's the technological readiness of autonomous, uh, autonomous uh, deadly weapons, and we needed to have a, a, a political answer and a societal answer to the readiness or not for this, uh, for this uh, uh, product. But for other questions, it's the right moment. So it's important to identify the expert. It's important to develop the readiness of the population, because again, again, and again on this subject, you cannot do it without your population. So if you don't train people to understand the question of AI, the uh, basics of AI, not, not everybody has to be a developer, but everybody has to understand this question of data, this question of privacy, this question of what is autonomous decision, what is the bias, etc., etc. If you don't do that, you will not be able to use them. Because as soon as you will use them, you will have, you will have a social resistance, and it will be a complete legitimate resistance. And you see uh, what could look like a French resistance uh, in the uh, few, uh, in the few uh, last uh, weeks uh, and months. Uh, I, I'm sure that Germany could have the same uh, if we don't take the right time to develop that. So that's why what the Commission have done uh, recently is really important, uh, because in a year now, we do have words that are now coming in the, in the discussion of all politicians. Uh, at the French Assembly, for example, nobody would talk about AI. This year, at the Senate, which is our higher uh, court, we made the AI debate for two hours and a half. 40 uh, questions were asked to me and answering on all these subjects. Senators from all over France were questioning the subject. It's beginning. So it's really important. But what I could tell you is also the danger, because these senators, nearly all of them, only ask about the risk of AI. So we need to now go to the next uh, level. We need to reassure them on risk. We need to build the, 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 the um, we need to build the, the governance of, of trust that will go around AI, so that we, we, we will be able to, to go uh, even faster on the subject. So high panel uh, at the EU, high panel uh, to the UN, uh, new independent panel of country who believed in, in, a, in a comprehensive and, and, and accurate. We need all these initiatives at the same time. It will be a subject at G7. I was in Japan last week to discuss the presidency of the G20, because the G20 will also uh, tackle some of this subject. But you know, when you go from 
EU to G7 to G20, you don't have the same level of uh, uh, consensus. So you need to see what could be a consensus for 20, what would be a consensus for 7, and what would be the consensus of a unified continent who really believe that they have a lot of value in common. And that's why what we need to do at the EU level has to be at the highest level of, uh, of, 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 of exigence. And otherwise, we will create this... Uh, group of like-minded country, it's always, uh, it's, it's, it's always, uh, um, it's, all, it's always nice to create a, a nice uh, like-minded club of countries, but when you do that, it means that you've lost or that you didn't win in, 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 in the other sphere, because it's really easy to only find the people you agree with and create a new club with them. So the main debate for G7 is to convince the one who already said that they were not convinced to, to join us at least, at least on few elements of the platform. All right, um, also from this side. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Tibba and I'm a student at this school as well. Um, I'm originally from the Netherlands before I came here to Berlin. And this is a topic that's very close to the heart of many of our generations. And at the same time, I see very cultural differences, even between Dutch and Germans, when it comes on the progress of digitalization. Uh, and I wonder whether you think it's feasible to move towards a more European position on data regulations and privacy. And if so, what are the main obstacles? And whether you also see a role for young people or young entrepreneurs in building this coalition? Thank you. Yes, we sometimes disagree, and every time we disagree, it's always for the bad reasons. So uh, there's something on this subject where each country tries to, when, when there's a new question, you have two possibilities. You can take all your forces and all your people to be the smartest possible and see what would be the, 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 the right position for the future, or you can immediately ask, what should be, what, what, what already exists in our history on position we've already made on subject that looks like this subject, and that would be uh, our positions, because the, it's linked to our root, it's linked to uh, what we believe in this subject. That's what happened every time we pronounce the word platforms or regulation. Uh, that's why at the beginning with President Macron, we say we will not call it regulation, we call it uh, smart governance, uh, so that countries who do have a problem with the word regulation would also still accept to enter the room and discuss. But at the last IGF, President Macron said, well, for a year we decided to not use the word regulation, but it's actually a regulation, so let's call it smart regulation. Uh, and because people want it, expect it, a new generation expects it. And again, regulation doesn't mean limitation. Regulation can mean a more openness, can, be, can mean more competitiveness, can, more, can, uh, be, can mean more uh, innovation. So the new generation of entrepreneurs, because again, I'm speaking here as a, as a minister, but I've been a minister for a year and a half, and my whole life I've been an entrepreneur. So uh, I'm more an entrepreneur than a minister. So, uh, and being a minister is just a part of your life when you try to build your expertise from uh, another sphere. Uh, entrepreneurs should join the political sphere. Uh, join, uh, meaning like work hard, develop, uh, create companies, be part of organization, be part of the public debate, uh, do everything to diffuse your values uh, in the society. The biggest danger for entrepreneurs is to not be listened or to, uh, to, to live in their own world uh, where only the, the other entrepreneurs could recognize you. The society needs entrepreneurs, needs to see the tech entrepreneurs be part of the society. Next week, uh, we are launching the next 40, which is the, um, uh, a group of the 40 top French startups with the highest uh, um, development and the highest impact on planet and human at the same time. Saying that we can create a lot of uh, um, uh, money and value and at the same time having a great impact on the society and people need to see us and need to see entrepreneurs like this. Entrepreneurs who only run for profit can exist, and uh, they, 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 it's important uh, that they exist somewhere, but it's not uh, what will make us very different from the rest of the world. 
I totally agree. And if I may add at least my um, my observation in the past year, I would say, is that also the government is opening up very well towards entrepreneurs and their ways of working and really learning from them. As much as, for example, at some point, big corporations started to kind of hear about data and they wanted to learn about it and they reached out to entrepreneurs to learn about that. Um, the same is happening now with the government. And I think that's, again, optimism. I think that's, that's really a great sign. But also, I think we need to, as entrepreneurs, we need to be open to work with them, kind of, right? So it's a, it's a movement from two sides. Right. Um, more questions? What, what, um... Hello, it's uh, Haytham. I'm a PhD candidate here at 30 School. Uh, I just wanted to discuss a topic that is often less discussed in such meetings. And uh, you said, and you mentioned in the beginning, that uh, the user and the citizen is at the center of innovation and digital innovation. And there's a difference between technology that is created to make people perform better and technology that is created to replace people. And often what I see in, in innovation and in entrepreneurship that the focus is not about the citizen and the, and the user, but about the profit and flagship. And this comes with automating things and replacing people. And in the future, not everyone can be coders to maintain those um, services, but will be social consequences. Have you thought about this? And is there any plan to, um, to combat this? Because what I see, I've been in Sweden, uh, one year ago, and there was like a trend to replace all uh, bus drivers, for instance, with automated um, buses, and this sector will be empty. You know, with a blockchain, middlemen are will be gone, banks will be gone. I mean, there are lots of sectors that will be um, with no humans, and those people will sit at home. Maybe they get a basic income, but uh, with social studies, we know that work is a very essential part in developing a person even if this work is routine or I know what. So uh, what is your comment on that and what is your plans for the future? This very specific subject will be the subject of the Ministry of Works of the G7. They've decided to make it the main subject of debate for this year uh, at the G7. Uh, the subject is about digital readiness of the workforce and uh, readiness of the workforce for all the transformation that will be uh, linked to digital transformation. There are two things. Uh, first is to identify the, 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 the sectors and the specific jobs that will disappear. But the problem with that is that the people who give you a list saying that in five years, in ten years, they all disappear, they are lying to you. It's always linked to a very specific vertical and sometimes to a company. We see already some companies who are doing right this scheme of digitization, robotization, and upskilling of the actual workforce so that they are prepared for the transformation. I can give you the example of L'Oréal. L'Oréal is uh, very fastly transforming their uh, logistic, uh, logistic warehouse to a 100% uh, uh, digital warehouse, where you don't need the Caris. Caris is the driver of the little, uh, uh, the little uh, car that will use the, the, the that, that transport the thing. They decided that they had the plan for the next 10, 15 years in digitization of all logistic points in France, but they do have at the same time an upskilling plan of all people doing this job, meaning that they are still doing their job at L'Oréal, they are carists, but at the same time they are preparing their next job and they have five years each of them to prepare them, to prepare them for the next job. To me, that's an example of, of, good, uh, of good transformation because their job is hard. So it's great if it's done by a machine. But the question is what we want to do socially for them, and will there be enough job for everyone? And the question is a 10-15 is a, is a, is a years uh, projection question. There are no easy answers. The optimists tell you there will always be enough jobs. There are others that don't really want to, to, to uh, tackle the question, saying that there might be or not, but we'll create the basic income, and then uh, we will tax machine, and it will be easy. Uh, it's easy to say that. It's easy because uh, it's, it's as dumb as the, as the optimist or as the pessimist. And the pessimist is the worst. Uh, we will have no money to pay the basic income. There will be no job for anyone else. And it's really 50 percent. And it's going to be the war. So that's why being an optimist is more interesting than being a pessimist, uh, because you have to be creative on finding solutions. But you not have to be an overdreamer saying that uh, 
you will only have to tax machine to, to, to distribute a basic income. But digital readiness and preparation of skills and upskilling of the workforce is the main subject. Because there is a, a, a bad scenario where all companies will just let their people go without training them, saying that we don't need you anymore, uh, and we'll uh, let them go and, 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 and then destroy uh, workforce capacity. But what will happen? Then the state will have to finance the upskilling. So we will create a new tax because uh, the state has no money. The state has the money of their company or their citizen. So at, at some point, people will have to pay. And we have to pay for our own transformation. We bet on uh, training the people who are the most, the less, the least uh, trained in France by refocusing a large amount of the money that were, uh, that were dedicated to vocational training only to the people with no, uh, or very, with very little uh, professional skills, where before the vocational training money, uh, public money, was more uh, distributed all, uh, all throughout. Which made some crazy thing where people with the highest level of training were receiving the highest level of money for the retraining. Uh, so now we have changed the, the rules for, for, for nearly a year and a half, but it's a 10 years program, it's a 20 years program. Uh, and we need to develop and to be ready for, for this transformation. But you, the social responsibility of company is to tackle this subject. I'm talking with all the banks in France because now the market is waiting for them to announce that they will close, uh, uh, that, they will, that, they, that it will diminish the ratio of humans per agency, of humans per, per client, etc. Say, okay, but uh, you need to have a, a, a social answer to that. You cannot just say, oh, we will use digital to uh, reach this ratio. If you say that, you completely uh, kill the trust people can have in digital. If, if digital is only a way to reach a ratio to, dis to, uh, to, 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 uh, to, to delete uh, some jobs, then we will go nowhere. And we will have yellow vests for the next 10 years uh, every Sunday in, in Paris. So if we really want to have a socially responsible transformation, we need to be transparent on this subject. And companies who have the capacity to invest in the skills should do it. All right, so that was um, the last question. And on this optimistic note, I would like to thank the panel. And uh, thanks, everybody, for attending. Thanks for listening. You can find more on our website at herty-school.org.